Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge, direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. All right, welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast. As you've noticed, we're doing this now on video as well, but don't worry if you're listening to it. Wherever you listen to podcasts, you'll still get the audio version. But on this episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast, Mike Drews from Vascular Sciences joins me and we talk about the, I guess, new STEP program from FDA. I say new, even though it was introduced back in 2019, late 2019, due to pandemic and, and all those sorts of things that we uh, have been dealing with since 2020, kind of went on the back burner. But it sounds like uh, this is getting some momentum. Recent guidance was finalized. But anyway, enjoy this episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast. This is your host and founder, Ed Greenlight Guru, John Spear. And joining me today is Mike Drews with Vascular Sciences. So, Mike, welcome. Thank you, John. Nice to speak with you today and nice to see you today. Yeah, nice a little to different see you. for us. Nice to see you too. I mean, for folks who are listening, you know, that's cool. But if you want to see uh, Mike Drews and, and John Spear on video, we are offering this as a, a video option for you as well. So something new that we're doing with the Global Medical Device Podcast. So anyway. But don't feel obligated to watch the video. I've been told that I have a face for radio. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, uh, uh, Amanda, my uh, better half, she always rolls her eyes whenever I do podcasts. She's like, uh-oh, there he goes with his podcast voice. <laughs> Apparently there's a difference. I don't know. I don't, I don't pick up on it. But anyway. Mike, I thought today we could dive into this program uh, from FDA known as the Safer Technologies Program or the STEP program. So maybe a good place to start, as we usually do, is what is the STEP program and why was it created? Yeah, great question, John. And as always, thanks very much for the opportunity to talk to you and our audience about a relatively new and potentially very important subject that everybody in our industry should know about and that is the Safer Technologies Program, or STEP. This was a program that was created actually back in 2019. That's when the original draft guidance came out. And as you might remember, John, you and I did a podcast on this topic back in October of 2019. One of the things that I'm proud of, uh, just to go off on a little bit of a tangent here, John, in many of our conversations, you and I are among the first to talk about a lot of things regulatory and quality related, unlike you know a lot of other people out there that you know, talk about things months and years after the fact. So as I often say, if you're following in somebody else's footsteps, there's one thing I can guarantee, and that is you'll never go anywhere new. So this is this discussion is an update to that discussion from almost a year and a half ago. Why are we updating it? Very simple. Because when shortly after FDA announced the draft guidance for the STEP program, as I said, back in 2019, COVID hit. And everything based, basically went on hold. And it wasn't until just last month, in January, in fact, where this particular guidance was finalized. Right. And so for the, for the last year and a half, any of my customers that were possibly considering this step, I said, well, it's probably better to put that on hold because the program hasn't really started yet. But now that the guidance has been finalized, we're 100% good to go. And as we'll talk about, any device that fits the, the qualifications for the step 
we should definitely consider submitting it to the FDA even right now. Sure. Another question that sometimes people ask, John, is why was it created? Well, this is another thing that I'm a little bit personally proud of because I had a small hand in creating this. There were a number of devices that I took and some other folks took to the FDA under the BDP, the Breakthrough Designation Program, which you and I have talked about before as well. But the improvement of these devices was more on the safety side as opposed to the efficacy side. And FDA said, gee, this is great. We definitely need to have some sort of a priority here, but it doesn't fit the BDP criteria. So the step was essentially created to address those devices, as we'll talk more about in a moment, John, that basically offer an improvement of safety, not necessarily an improvement in efficacy. That's one of the fundamental differences between the two programs. Does that make sense, John? Uh, it does. And I, I want to you know, get into some of the nuances and the specifics here in a few moments. I mean, I think sometimes with both BDP and, and now maybe even STEP, I think what a lot of people might hear is that this is a new regulatory pathway. And, and there's a correlation for sure, but I want to understand that a little bit better and share that with the audience. Yeah, great question, John. And somebody, in fact, just asked me this uh, very similar question yesterday. Neither the BDP nor the STEP are a pathway to market. That is, we don't do a STEP or a BDP in lieu of a 510K or de novo or PMA or HDE. We do it in addition to. So it's not a pathway to market. If you're bringing your device onto the market, say, as a 510K or as a PMA, you can do a STEP or not, you can do a BDP or not, but you still have to do the 510K or the PMA in order to get it onto the market. Does that make sense? It it totally does. And I I think that's where a lot of the confusion lies with folks is that they hear about BDP and and step and they're like, oh, well, this is something, you know, a a pathway that's that's similar to, but different than the 510K or the de novo, but but to your point, it's additive, not not, uh, exclusive from one another. And one other, one other minor point along those lines, John, the way FDA set these two programs up, and I'm not sure, to be honest, if I agree with this or not, but the way they set these two programs up is that they are mutually exclusive. In other words, if you get a BDP, you cannot get a STEP. If you get a STEP, you cannot get a BDP. As I said, I'm not sure if I like that or not, because I have devices that I'm working on, John, where there's not only an improvement of safety, but also of efficacy. So. Right. I don't know, you know, it's, it's, the, the jury is out on that one. I think that's a relatively minor point, but that's another difference uh, between the two programs. Fundamentally, the biggest difference between these two programs I see are, are twofold. First of all, as I said a moment ago, the STEP program is primarily focusing on devices that increase the uh, safety of a device, not necessarily efficacy, where the BDP, the emphasis is on improvement of efficacy, not necessarily safety. That's difference number one, and I have no problem with that. I'm, a, I'm a, in full agreement with that one. Difference number two, I have a little bit of a philosophical difference with my friends at FDA because the BDP is limited to life-threatening and irreversibly debilitating diseases, injuries, and conditions. And I'm fine with that, but on the step side, it's limited to less severe diseases, Mm -hmm. right? And so hypothetically speaking, John, and I have already a couple of devices that are in this category, 
What if we have a device that improves the safety, not the efficacy, but the safety of a life-threatening or irreversibly debilitating disease, injury, or condition? By literal interpretation of the guidance as it stands now, that would not be eligible for a step designation. I think that's an oversight. I think that part of the guidance is poorly written. And don't be surprised, John, if that's not fixed, hopefully sometime in the coming months or years. But I think that's a, that's a, a bit of a problem. Does sure. that make sense? Well, maybe. And I think maybe to help clarify, it might get into or make sense to get into more of the, the criteria for when step applies to something that I'm working on. Maybe that'll help clarify any, any confusion that, that might be on that particular area. Yeah, absolutely. So let me give you some examples of the criteria that we have to show in order to show an improvement in safety. We have to show, for example, and this is in the step guidance, which we can provide a a link to as part of the, the podcast. We have to show that there's an increase in the benefit risk ratio, specifically in the known serious adverse events. So this is for devices that are already on the market or similar devices that are already on the market where we can show that there's a reduction in the serious adverse events or SAEs. That's one way we can do it. Another way that we can do it is to show a decrease in the known failure mode of the device, reductions in user-related errors or hazards. And finally, if we make the intervention using another device more safer, And this is where it gets really interesting, John, because notice that the words they're using in the guidance are intervention. Mm. They're not saying that it's necessarily another device. So there's three possible scenarios here based on my interpretation of this guidance. Scenario number one is we have an improvement in safety of a given device that we're working on. Scenario number two is our device is used in conjunction with another device and our device leads to an improvement in the safety of the other device. And then finally, scenario number three is if our device is used in a surgical procedure, because remember, John, in the guidance, it says intervention. It doesn't say device. If our device is used in a surgical procedure and we improve the safety of the surgical procedure, that would also potentially be applicable to the STEP program. So those are three different scenarios that I can envision. Perhaps there's even more, John, that you might think of. Whether FDA intentionally thought of those different scenarios or not, I don't know. But that's, you know, as as we've talked about before, John, regulation is all about the interpretation of words and our ability to defend our interpretation. I can... I can interpret those words in the guidance, specifically intervention, making an intervention safer in many different ways, as I, as I just illustrated there. Does that make sense, John? And I can give you a specific example if you want. Yeah, and, and a, a specific example probably would be extremely helpful because I'm, I'm just thinking as you, know, you talk about those, those different scenarios, safety as the first scenario, using with another device to improve the safety of that other device or the third scenario being an intervention in a, in a surgical procedure to improve the safety of, of those things. I mean, I guess what's rattling around in my head is that burden of proof. How, do you, how does one demonstrate that? And maybe your example can help illustrate uh, how one might be able to go about 
using or demonstrating? Well, in, in terms of the burden of proof, John, that's a very interesting question. Uh, the STEP program is still relatively new, and I've got a couple of devices that we're putting through the STEP program now. But the best way I can answer that question uh, about the burden of proof is on the BDP side. Right. So on the BDP side, we're required to show and I always get the, the verbiage here wrong. So I want to just refer to to the guidance. The sponsor needs to demonstrate that the device has a reasonable expectation that the device could provide for a more effective diagnosis or treatment relative to the current current standard of care in the United States. So basically what we have to show for the BDP and now similarly for the step is that the device has a reasonable expectation that it could provide, in the case of the BDP, uh, an improvement of efficacy, or in the case of the STEP, an improvement of safety. Exactly how much data that you need to show that there's a reasonable expectation that it could work, well, this is when you know consultants like us get into this because this is the argument that you have to make. Let me give a real simple example, an actual medical device example for our audience, John. Maybe this will help with the understanding. So my favorite example for something would, for, the, for the step would be a syringe, right? Let's, we all know, for example, how big of a problem uh, needle stick injuries are with, uh, associated with syringes, right? Or other harms that can result from using a, a hypodermic needle, right? So what if a company came out with an idea to improve the safety of the syringe, for example, by reducing the likelihood of having a needle stick injury. There is no change in the efficacy. At the end of the day, John, you're gonna be injecting the same drug into the patient. So there's no change in efficacy. So this would clearly not be eligible for the BDP. But if we can show that it has a reasonable expectation to improve the safety, for example, in user errors or, you know, which is, you know, a needle stick injury, that would be eligible for a potential step designation. And taking that just one step further, John, what about a pre-filled syringe? Well, this gets into combination products. And here's the interesting ir irony, John, the step program is eligible, not just for medical devices, but device-led combination products. So if you have a, uh, a combination product that's primarily a device, the primary mode of action is a device, then it would be eligible for the STEP program. Well, On the other hand, if you have a drug device combination product, it is not eligible for the STEP program. The reason why I mentioned the pre-filled syringe is because pre-filled syringes are primarily regulated as drugs, not medical devices. So here's the thing, John, a plain old empty syringe would be eligible for step, a pre-filled syringe or a pre-loaded pre syringe would not. Gotcha. All An right. interesting little sort of hiccup in the, uh, in, the, in the regulatory world, John. Perhaps we'll fix that someday. By the way, for the benefit of our audience, I just found out that I'm gonna be doing a webinar later this year for Greenlight specifically on combination products, an area that I've been working in for more than 20 years. So for those in our audience that are, that are interested in that particular topic, stay tuned. Yeah, absolutely. Did you hear the news? That's right. Greenlight Guru, we're at it again. This time we're launching the Greenlight Guru Academy. The Greenlight Guru Academy aims to be the worldwide leader in online education for medical device quality, regulatory, and product development professionals. Hi, I'm John Spear, the founder at Greenlight Guru, and I'm really excited about 
this announcement and launching the Green Light Guru Academy. The first course offerings we're going to provide to you for free include things around design controls, risk management, and regulatory submissions. And if you are a current Greenlight Guru medical device success platform user, we're going to provide content and information, tips, pointers, and best practices on using the software platform. So I hope you enjoy the content and the Greenlight Guru Academy and be on the lookout because we're going to continue to roll out additional courses here very soon. Folks, I want to remind you, I'm talking with Mike Drews. Mike is the president of Vascular Sciences, a familiar voice and, and soon-to-be familiar face on the Greenlight Guru <laughs> Global Medical Device Podcast. Uh, <laughs> we, we talk about a lot of things uh, regulatory-related. I'll tell you, uh, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. He's the guy you want in your corner when it comes to creative regulatory strategy. No, that's not an oxymoron. Those words were used together on purpose. <laughs> um, one of the other things I want you all to be aware of is Greenlight Guru. We're here to help too. We have the only medical device success platform on the market today, uh, designed specifically and only for the medical device industry to help you through design and development, risk, uh, document management, change management, and all of your quality events, CAPAs, complaints, things of that nature. If you'd like to learn more about the Greenlight Guru success platform, go to www.greenlight.guru and we'd be thrilled to have a conversation with you to better understand your needs and requirements. All right. So Mike, let's dive back in. I guess talk a little bit about the mechanics for applying for a step. I mean, I guess as I'm thinking about it, it seems like it's sort of kind of like a pre-sub. I don't know if that's a, a good analogy or not, but I guess talk a little bit about some of the mechanics. Yeah, great question, John. So the mechanics of the step program are sort of kind of like, to use your phrase, the mechanics of the BDP program. As a matter of fact, I would say that the mechanics of the two programs, to use a regulatory pun, John, are substantially equivalent to one another. <laughs> and the process is, is, is very similar. If you understand the mechanics of the BDP, just scratch off step, uh, sorry, scratch off BDP and insert the, the acronym STEP and you'll be all set. Basically, what we do is we put together a STEP pre-sub, just like we would put together a BDP pre-sub. Now, one of the things that the way FDA set up both the BDP and the STEP program, which I strongly disagree with, is that you cannot combine, or as I like to say, co-mingle a BDP pre-sub or a STEP pre-sub with a traditional pre-sub. In other words, with a BDP or a STEP pre-sub, you only have one meeting objective, and that is, have we demonstrated that we met the BDP criteria, or alternatively in the STEP, have we we demonstrated that we met the, the STEP criteria? And I think this is a topic of a, of a bit of a tangent, John. I think FDA has made the process inherently inefficient by having to do the step or the BDP pre-sub and then immediately follow that by a traditional pre-sub. I see no way why these things could not have been combined into one. But again, that's just my opinion, John, throwing it out there for, for whatever it's worth. So we, we include all of that information, you know, our device description, most importantly, the information to show FDA how we do provide or we could provide an improvement of safety, as I, as I talked about before, those three or four different criteria. We submit it to the FDA. According to the guidance, within 60 days, FDA intends to make their decision. And please notice they're parsing the words very carefully, John. Nothing gets out of the FDA without being vetted by 500 lawyers first, right? 
So they're not saying they're going to make their decision within 60 days. They say they intend to. But to be fair, on the BDP side and now on the step side, usually those timelines, even with COVID, are being adhered to. So within 60 days, they're going to make their decision as to whether you qualify for the step. At a high level, that's the mechanical process. Once you do get the step decision, then the company can decide, you know, following up with a traditional pre-sub or, or what have you. But at a high level, John, that's the mechanics of the process. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And the question that's just lingering in the back of my mind right now, and I guess I'll, I'll bring it out to the forefront, is so what? You know, what's the big idea? What's the big deal? Why is this an advantage for me as a company to consider a step for my device? What's the big deal? That's a good question, John. And to be honest with you, we don't completely know yet. And here's why I say that. So just like the BDP program, any devices that get a step designation will be treated as a priority at the FDA. I want to make this next point crystal clear, John, because a lot of people, they misunderstand. If you get a BDP or a step designation, that is not a reduction in your regulatory burden. In other words, that does not mean that you have to do less testing, less benchtop, less clinical, whatever it is. It simply means that you go through the FDA process in a more mm, efficient way. So the way I like to describe the BDP and now the STEP program, John, is imagine you're in the grocery store standing at the deli counter and everybody has taken a number waiting to get served. And then all of a sudden somebody comes in wearing a big red hat and they go to the front of the line. They're served first. Getting a BDP or now getting a step is kind of like wearing a big red hat. You go to the front of the line, but it is not a reduction in the regulatory burden. When it comes to the non-regulatory benefits, I have several, I think John and I, some of your audience knows I have nine devices currently in the BDP program. A couple of those devices we got into the program, the, the company could care less about the regulatory benefits. They were, in, they were interested in the non-regulatory benefits. For example, on the reimbursement side, right. CMS originally automatically in, uh, reimbursed for two years for BDP devices. Now they're reimbursing for four years for BDP devices automatically. We don't know, at least I haven't seen anything yet, and maybe you or your audience can correct me, John, I haven't seen anything yet coming out of CMS about step designated devices, whether they're going to get automatic reimbursement or not. I suspect because FDA at least currently is limiting step devices essentially to improvements of existing devices, if the existing device is getting reimbursed, then the new safer version of that device will probably also get reimbursed. But what if we expand, as I suggested earlier, John, the step program to truly new devices, right? right? There might not be reimbursement for it. Another non-regulatory benefit of the BDP is for small and startup companies to be able to go to their potential investors and say, hey, it's not just us that think our device is the greatest thing since sliced bread. The US FDA said that it's the greatest thing since sliced bread because they gave us a BDP or perhaps in this case, it's not, right? Although to be honest, John, BDPs, because they're a breakthrough, they tend to be a little bit more glitzy, I think. Yeah. If you have a device that offers an improvement of safety, sometimes, unless you're a real biomedical engineer geek or a regulatory geek, like I happen to be in both, getting excited about an improvement of safety, it's not like we were doing something that we couldn't right. do before, 
Rather, we're doing something that we've been doing before, but we're doing it in a safer way, kind of like a seatbelt on a car, John, right? It's not going to make the car go down the road any faster or more efficiently. It's going to make your experience in that car safer should you get into an accident. But how many people get excited about a new design of a safety belt in a car, right? Probably not too many. Well, I don't don't know that. Do you remember the airbag craze of a few years ago? I mean, how many airbags does a standard car have in it now? I mean, it's, they're all over the freaking place. So maybe <laughs> I don't know, but yeah. There you go. But, so that's that's actually, uh, thank you for correcting my metaphor, John, because if you can make an improvement to safety of a car by introducing an airbag rather than, say, a, a stronger cloth belt, that might be enough to get people excited. Well, um, the marketers are having a heyday with it on on the automotive side. So maybe uh, med device marketers uh, pursuing some step, maybe there's an opportunity there. But in all seriousness, though, I think it is an important program because, you know, we are making medical devices and we want those devices to be as safe as they possibly can be. And if you come across some sort of opportunity to make it safer and, and or to augment another product or procedure and, and improve the safety of, of those uh, cases as well. I, it's, it's a worthwhile thing to consider. And I like the, the idea of the sort of getting in, in line, get a priority pass, so to speak, to get in line, maybe ahead of some of the other more traditional paths. But I also think it's important for people to, to hear you don't just get to say I'm BDP or I'm STEP. You have to get you know the endorsement from FDA. I don't know if endorsement's the right word, but blessing from FDA is maybe a better word. You have to be accepted into the program. Yeah. Right. So you you have to be awarded a BDP designation, or you have to be awarded a, a STEP designation. As we've talked about before, it's not a in lieu of a five ten k or something else. It's an addition to. Right. And not to be critical, John, I, you know, I agree 100% with what you just said. We obviously want to design devices to be safe. And um, hopefully this newly finalized STEP program will create yet another incentive for companies to do exactly that. However, John, I get a little nervous when I hear people use phrases like the one that you just did. We want to make our devices as safe as we possibly can. Well, with all due respect, what the heck does that mean? Uh, it's Please name for me any pie. device. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. what's that? I said it's like motherhood and apple pie. It's it's just yeah, exactly. Please name for me any device that couldn't be designed to be safer in some way if we wanted to. So I agree with your sentiments, one hundred and ten percent or more, no question about it. But on the other hand, we have to have realistic expectations. So when I hear, for example, when I read in the mission statements, and this is a little off topic. But when I read in the mission statements of some of the largest medical device companies on earth, they say something like, you know, we want to make our devices as safe as we can yet above. With all due respect, are people just drinking that Kool-Aid? It's just not realistic. Correct me if I'm wrong, but as we've been talking about this, I was like, oh, okay. You and I have talked a lot, both on the Global Medical Device Podcast and just um, when we have chance uh, to catch up about 510k and how it's really just a, a, if companies that are pursuing that it, it's a me too and that's fine if that makes sense for your product it seems like this step could be an opportunity for me to yeah maybe still follow that me too path but to bring something new to the conversation so to speak you know being able to um, effectively market that my product is safer than this other product because I have this step designation and, and a 510k. Am I thinking about this in, in the right path here or the right the right mindset? 
Well, John, I don't know if you did this on purpose or not, but you remind me uh, what you're talking about now of one of my all-time favorite medical device videos that I use in many of my device <laughs> regulatory training course. I know and that you is say. your infamous yeah. 510K and ketchup and mustard video. Right. And one of the points that you just made is, you know, something that I've been talking about for years. How can a device be basically the same, i.e., substantially equivalent and better at the same time. Well, now you're asking similar question. How can something be basically the same and safer at the same time? Right. Right. <laughs> so maybe, John, you need to update that ketchup and mustard video maybe. to include the step. Maybe. Uh, maybe we should just do a, a joint pod. Maybe that's a whole different podcast for, for us to dive into. Like, you know, we can get the condiments out and we can talk about, you know, which one's a de novo versus PMA. I'll, I'll log that. Maybe we'll talk about that later. And in all seriousness, for, for those in our audience who are not familiar with, I think that video that uh, that I was alluding to from John, that John, you did that, what, more than 10 years ago, I'm sure. Oh, my God. Is one of the best videos. It's very short. It's only a couple of minutes, but it's one of the best videos on the 510K and substantial equivalents. Um, notice, John, I didn't say that it was better than mine, but I said it's one of the one best. One of the best. Yeah, I heard, I heard <laughs> you chose your words carefully too, but you didn't have to go through 500 attorneys to do so. Uh, <laughs> As any good regulatory professional would do. <laughs> All right, Mike, this has been helpful. Any other important tips, pointers, advice uh, regarding the STEP program before we wrap things up? Today? Yeah, no, so, so I think this is a program that medical device companies should definitely be aware of. If you're developing a device that doesn't necessarily make an improvement on the efficacy side, but does improve safety, that by definition, this step program should be considered. And by the way, John, as an aside, and again, not to be critical of my many friends at FDA, but I do know a number of FDA folks do listen to these discussions. What they do with that information, that's a different topic. But I personally think that it's not necessary to have a separate BDP and a STEP program. I think they could have, and perhaps maybe someday will be combined into one. But for anybody that's working on a device that, that offers a potential improvement in safety, and at the same time, doesn't necessarily address a irreversibly debilitating or you know serious disease injury or condition, the STEP program is definitely something to consider. For sure. So, you know, I would if anybody has any questions on how that might apply to their device or if that applies to their device, you know, by all means reach out to John, reach out to myself. We'd be happy to help. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Mike, I know you said um, earlier in the in the conversation today that uh, you know, this program has, was sort of on hiatus for most of 2020 and now starting to pick up a little bit of steam maybe uh, with the finalization of the guidance. Uh, sounds like you've got a couple of things that are uh, in the queue at some stage going through this. So maybe after you get a little bit more experience and, and maybe some data to share, we can revisit, you know, uh, this and maybe a, a few other uh uh, topics um, related to step and BDP and that sort of thing. Maybe do a, more, a deeper dive, compare and contrast. But you know, let's let you get some of that experience, get some data, and then we can share. You know, what you discover after uh, getting a couple of those data points. Is that okay? I would be very happy to do that, John. Obviously, the numbers of devices that are getting BDP designation since it was created about three years ago is on the increase. Although some yeah. people might argue that there's too many BDP devices, that FDA has allowed some devices to get the BDP designation. When you look at it, it's like, well, gee, why the heck is this a breakthrough? 
But on the other hand, I would love nothing more than to see a growing number of devices get step designation as well. I think both of those programs um, are good incentives. They're not perfect. They need some adjustments, just like the 510K. It's not perfect. It needs some adjustments. But I think both the BDP as well as the step overall are very positive steps in the right direction to encourage companies to bring devices onto the market that either are uh, improvements of efficacy or improvements of safety or hopefully improvements in both. Absolutely. Mike, thank you so much. Um, ladies and gentlemen, Mike Drew is of Vascular Sciences. We've been talking about the STEP program. Again, if you have any regulatory conversations or topics of discussion, Mike Drew is from Vascular Sciences. He's your guy. I would encourage you to reach out to him. You can find numerous conversations that he and I have had on the Global Medical Device Podcast, on uh, webinars from Greenlight Guru, as well as many other sources. He's a very prolific writer and, and publishes content and podcasts and all sorts of things. So he's pretty easy to find. If you can't find him, just send me a note and I'll be happy to make a connection. And as always, uh, as I mentioned, Greenlight Guru, we're here to help you as well. We have the only medical device success platform on the market today, designed actually for medical device companies by actual medical device professionals. So check it out, www.greenlight.guru to learn more. As always, thank you for being loyal listeners and now maybe even watchers of the Global Medical Device <laughs> Podcast. And as always, this is your host and founder, John Spear, and uh, you have been listening to the Global Medical Device Podcast. <laughs>